morning. Welcome to Back from the Brink. I am Todd Brinker. It is Friday, the 21st of May. Aaron will be joining us in just a moment. It is May 21st, as I said. So, hey, um, here in Southern California, it's the last day for any kind of league competitions for uh, for CIF swimming. Now, CIF, for those of you who don't know around the world, is, is California Interscholastic Federation. It is the body that governs high school sport here in California. Um, and because of the population here, we have traditionally, in a lot of our sports, not had state championships. We've had CIF championships because uh, they just dice the state up into several chunks because it's just too big and too many people. And so um, now they have brought state championships back, but then, of course, COVID killed all that. So uh, we count our blessings and say thank you that we get the opportunity to do at least the CIF championships and compete. And and uh, and we had uh, league finals yesterday for the school that I coach and had a great time. Really good job done by my kids and uh, real proud of them. Um, you know, we had a little bit cool but good weather. Um Whereas a cool day is probably a good thing if you're a, a, a track athlete or a tennis athlete or a football uh, player. Um, you know, it's it, as a swimmer, it's less than ideal. <laughs> uh, here's Aaron. Hi. Hello. So I was just sharing that, uh, you know, yesterday we wrapped up our league finals for, for my swim team and that it was kind of a cool day. Which is great if you're in track or uh, football or you know tennis. Sure. Not ideal for swimmers, <laughs> but uh, but it wasn't so cool that it was like people standing around shivering a lot, you know. Um, but it was it was a little on the cooler side, so um, I think it just you just gotta spend a little bit more time warming up and trying to keep warm, bundle up before your your races because you're walking around in a swimsuit. You know, prior to yes. your race, it can get a little chilly out there as the sun starts going down. Um, as a former swimmer, you know what that's like, right? <laughs> it's like yeah. I, I do, it, and we a... would we would wear these big um, I don't know what else. They're like uh, giant robes, yeah. Or, you know, they're they're um, parkas or yeah. parkas, or yeah, exactly. Large bath robes, long. almost, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, it's, yeah, like a, it's like a parka duster. Yeah, in fact, yeah. If you've if you've seen like the um, uh, some of the football players and during games in the winter will wear these big parkas and theirs are all oversized to go over their shoulder pads, but then they hang down to like you know your calves, um, and so that way you can kind of just wrap them around you. And then the other thing that a lot of swimmers have worn in the last few years is on, on the pool deck when it's cold out, you'll see them walking around in UGG boots, you know, just to keep their toes warm. Because so. they're easy on, easy off. Exactly. Although okay. uh, after they've been to a few swim meets, they start looking pretty ratty. And, you know, so so most of them are wearing, like, knockoff Ugg boots because they're cheap. But, uh, uh, yeah, you know, you stick your feet in there and, and just keep them wrapped in something warm before you uh, have to get it. Whereas, you know, in the in the summer, they're either barefoot or wearing flip-flops or something as they're walking around the pool deck. Um, but, yeah, if you've ever been out in the cold and then put your feet into water... Your toes feel like they're ice cubes. They're going to crack when you drop them into a glass of water. You know, like you drop an ice cube into a glass of water and you see it go. Yes. That's how your toes feel yes. when you dive into <laughs> into a pool on a cold day after you've been walking around and your toes are cold. So that is far from, from ideal. Uh, and, you know, you'll hear coaches going around threatening swimmers saying, you know, 
wrap up, get warm. Warm up your feet. Crazy kids. <laughs> yeah, I'm not crazy. cold as your lips turn blue. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fine. Yeah, you'll ding dong. So um, something we didn't talk about during the, uh, during the uh, radio show today was uh, an article that you had found about how your body tells you when it's had too much caffeine. And it's yes. funny because I think that there's probably a whole bunch of people who just know this by heart. You know, there's, we don't even need to tell them what these are. You know, um, you know, increased anxiety. Yeah, you think so? Got the adrenaline pushing through your body just a little bit too much. You're a little jumpy, a little jittery. Yeah, think so. You know, trouble sleeping. So you're tired. So what do you do? Drink some more caffeine because you're tired. And you need to wake up. Vicious cycle. So yeah, you have trouble sleeping. So you know your your REM sleep is is uh, uh, disrupted because your body's a little bit juiced. No big deal there, right? Stomach aches. Yeah. Um, you know most of your uh, caffeinated beverages are uh, you know coffees and sodas and stuff, and uh, and they're very acidic. And caffeine also has laxative properties, so. Your uh, your guts just gets gets also gets souped up and pushes stuff through real fast, so you're not digesting well, <laughs> and uh, you know, and that goes with the stomach aches. Frequent urination again, all the muscles are speeded up and pushed through, and and so all of the constriction that moves through your your uh, digestive system is on hyperdrive, and then headaches, because uh, yeah, too much. So you can take, you know, Excedrin, which has aspirin and caffeine in it. <laughs> yeah. Caffeine is everywhere. It, you can become a caffeined real easy. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And how many people are, you know, they can't start their day without a cup of coffee. It's insidious. Um, yes. I don't do it because yes, I have to. I do it because I like tea. to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can quit anytime I like. Said every yeah. addict ever. Yeah. Exactly. I usually make it through a show without running to the bathroom, tea. usually. <laughs> I prefer black tea, which has caffeine in it, of course, too. Um, yeah. And I found this sparkling water when I was in Utah that it's um, mix, mixy, I think is what it's called. And it, it is mm-hmm. a combination of the flavored sparkling water, you know, the unsweetened ones mm-hmm. um, with black tea. And so it's got some caffeine in it. It is so good. Like, I was feeling so awake, and I've never seen that here in California. Yeah. Are you sure it has caffeine in it? You know, because a lot of the uh, Mormons in Utah won't drink caffeine. Salt Lake City is the fastest-growing city in the U.S. and very yep. cosmopolitan. And it it is. Salt Lake. Yeah, I, I have for years pointed out to people that statistically there are more Catholics living in Salt Lake City than Mormons. People don't realize that these days. But, um, yeah, no, I, I realize that, but I'm just, you know. Playing devil's yes. advocate here, no, no, saying, I'm hey, "Yep, I bought it." Says it caffeine on the clear. label. <laughs> it does. It says caffeine on the label, and and, and I get that they that they want to be clear that you know, people are mm-hmm. that they know that they're drinking this stuff that has that has a little boost. Right. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I mean, there are are products out there all over the place that that brag about the fact that they've got you know five times more caffeine than our regular product. You're like, whoa. <laughs> Then I only have to drink twice as much to get my regular dose. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, caffeine is out there, and you know, like everything, you just got to do it in moderation. Um, and if you find that you can't do it in moderation, then maybe you should just say no. You know. Um, Indeed. I, you know, I I go through phases where I try to cut back on on caffeinated stuff and and drink more water and be healthier, and then. Then I get lazy or I get, you know, what what usually happens is I'm somewhere where it's not convenient because there's just none available. And so I just take whatever's there. And usually it's a soda because that's what's easy to find. And, you know, there you go. You know, when, you when I was, um, the times that I, many times that I've tried to give up Diet Coke, the summer was much easier to give it up because mm-hmm. um, I could go, if I was like out and about, I wanted to run through a McDonald's drive through because their drinks are only a dollar and get mm-hmm. a, uh, a cold beverage, their iced tea on a, during the summer is generally fresh because they're replacing it all day long. Right. Um, you know, in the winter, it's not. And I don't want to drink a, pe- a iced tea that's been sitting in that vat for, you know, ever. I agree. Yeah. So, Sometimes the tea, you know, not that the, the, you know, juice from the boxed bag that they pump into your carbonated water is particularly better, but, you know, tea that, that, that some kid made in a jug and dumps into a tub is also not terribly appealing sometimes and i'm not blaming the kid i'm just saying it's often you're right it sits there for long periods of time yes you know. and then the summer it doesn't mm-hmm. happen so you yeah. usually get fresh iced tea um uh and uh, i like i like iced tea a lot so mm-hmm. um so i'll drink that yeah I don't we like do sun tea. tea i like it unsweetened yeah, we do sun tea a lot in the summer. You know, we've got a, a jug that we do it and, you know, fill it up with water, throw a few tea bags and sit it on the back patio. And then you've got nice fresh tea. In Southern California, nice. it, it gets to near boiling pretty quickly. Yeah, no kidding. So <laughs> but at least outside. we don't live in Phoenix. It. Please, we Not don't live hot. in Phoenix. There it gets really hot. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, I, I, I don't understand. I would seriously... Unless I were a, unless I was a snowbird, uh, I would be questioning my life choices if I ended up living in Phoenix, because it's just too bloody hot. Yeah, I mean I'm sure there's all kinds of good reasons to move there, but um, none that sound appealing to me. So, so I was when we were talking about electric vehicles the other uh, or earlier about the Ford truck and and other electric vehicles, and something that's been appealing to me for a while is an electric bike. You know, a bicycle. So you can go do like, well, they don't really sell them as mopeds, but that's essentially what they are. And there are some that look a lot like bikes. There's some that look like sort of like motorcycles or like old style motorcycles. If you, you know, go back to the seventies or something like that. Um, There's a, uh, a model out there, a brand called super 73 and, uh, and they make some pretty nice ones, but you know what? You look at the price, and these things range from about $2,700 to $3,500, and you're going, $3,500 for a bike? I mean, you know, that that is that is an electric motorcycle. Why are they putting pedals on it? Just make it a motorcycle at that point. Yeah. You know? Well, and honestly, though, a high-end mountain bike will cost you that much. True. True. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they're just... Um, it's, 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 it's hard to justify. It is. You know, when you look at like, hey, something to run around town, go, you know, if I want to run to the store or something like that. And it's like, well, I guess I'll be walking because I'm not spending that kind of money. Yeah. You know. Or driving. Get a scooter. Yeah. Get a Vespa. Yeah. You know, they're not much cheaper if you don't, if you get one that's like, you know, human sized. Yeah. But they could, but they can go mm-hmm. faster. I mean, you know, mopeds yeah. can only go so fast or, you know, motorized bicycles. But the, yeah. um, 
uh, but a scooter can go a lot faster. You know, they're, uh, they could keep up with traffic. Right. These bikes that I'm looking at have uh, a range of a little over 40 miles if you don't pedal, and they can go about 20 miles an hour. But you're right. The scooters, you can take them out. Some of them are even highways uh, rated. I mean, you can. You yeah, know. I had a, when I was in high school, I drove a 200cc Vespa scooter. It could take mm-hmm. it on the freeway. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure I would want to, but you can. I did. You know? Yeah, because I was a teenager and I was stupid. Yeah, well, and you, well, and you figure, you also figure, you know, sometimes you're in a pinch, right? It's like you know your car is in the shop yeah. or something, and it's just you need to get somewhere, and so you're just like, well, you you do it. You're careful, right? Yep. So. I don't know. I think as gasoline continues, the price of gasoline continues to rise, and our government cut it, shutting down pipelines and fracking that will continue. Um, then I I think that. Um, you know, things, alternative modes of transportation will become more attractive. And yeah. scooters, I think, will be one of them. In other countries where gas is much more expensive mm-hmm. um, uh, and the weather is generally good year-round, they lots of people drive scooters. Right. Yeah, lots of scooters and lots of little micro cars. We may start seeing uh, the uh, smart car come back, right? Yes. I always, I used yes. to joke that the smart car was the stupidest car you could buy because it was ridiculously expensive and it didn't get as good a mileage as the small car from Honda, Nissan, or Toyota. Toyota. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you could, and those all seated four instead of just two and had more storage space, you know, so they were cheaper, got better mileage, seated more people, but no, you're going to you buy a smart like car. old Mother Hubbard driving it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cause it looks like a shoe. Yeah, I was gonna say that. That said, you couldn't park nose into the curb and still fit in the. You know that one. You could. <laughs> that yeah, that, you could park those things in lots of places. You couldn't park a regular car, but uh, I would have felt. So, I, I I can't imagine how uncomfortable I would feel. Like talk about being on the freeway in a smart car. I've seen people driving them out there. You know, but they are they are so much the city car that that just looks to me like, you know, death on wheels. So I, Tobin and I, for well, for the last several years, have you know we've gravitated towards the small cars, and I like mm-hmm. them for city driving. Yeah, I, we don't have a smart car, but we have a, a Ford C Max, and I drive a Civic Hybrid, yeah. and um, both are small. And in when you're driving in the city, it's it's nice because you mm-hmm. can find. It's easier to, to, to find parking. You fit better in parking garages. Right. Um, it's just, you know, on a crowded street, it just it's it's just better. Yeah. Well, and there's so. lots of parking lots that, that are, let's face it, they're really sized for small cars. People driving up in their Ford F-150s don't fit in a lot of those spaces very well. Oh, that uh, drives me crazy. You know. That and, drives me crazy. Yeah, when they force it to fit, you know. But sometimes I understand where they're coming from, too. It's like, well, you know, there aren't any large spaces in this lot. There's nothing I can do about it. I need to go here, and this is the spots that are there. So I'll take, you know, what I can and shove my car in there. So, you know, they need to make parking lots that accommodate different size cars because people have different size cars. So... Indeed. You know, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't have anything as large as an F-150, but I do drive a, you know, I, I it's not a full-size SUV because it's not like it's a Ford Expedition. You know, it's a Mazda CX-9. I think they call it a full-size, but it's 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 not as big as the big SUVs. It's not truck-sized. It's not but, a Suburban. But it's, yeah, exactly. But it's not petite either. Um, you know, it's not like uh, the, the, the little tiny SUVs that they've got either now. So, you know, I just, that's why I say it's somewhere in the middle. It's on the big side of middle. Uh, you know, and then I've got a, a, a small truck, right, uh, for an old Ford Ranger. Um, you know, so I, I find that I have I don't have too much trouble getting those parked 
you know. Um, yeah. It, it's ironic that um, when I had a sedan, the last sedan I had was a uh, uh, an Infinity, and it did not turn, even though it was a smaller vehicle, did not turn as well or as sharp as the Mazda SUV. I can park the Mazda easier than I could that Infinity. There were times when I couldn't make a turn into a spot without having to back up and change the angle. I never do that in the Mazda. It turns much more easily. So Mazdas are good little cars. They really yeah. are an SUV. They say little, but they're they're mm-hmm. good cars. Yeah. They're well built. Yeah. No, we've had it for quite a while and been very happy with it. Um, vroom, um, vroom. Yeah, it's it's got lots of miles on it, so it's due to be replaced at some point. But probably before Link goes back to school in the fall, we'll be looking for a car. But, uh, you know, we'll see what we got and what it costs and where we're at and all that good stuff. So, hey, I watched a movie the other day, and um, it was called The Longest Week with Jason Bateman. And it had Jason Bateman, Olivia Wilde, and Billy Crudup, all of whom I like. So I thought, okay, you know, three people I kind of like was made in 2014, had never really heard of it. After watching it, I kind of know why. <laughs> oh, was it that bad? Oh, that's it terrible. Was, it was weird. It was just weird. So Jason Bateman plays this guy, Conrad Valmond, who is basically living off of his, uh, his uh, um, you know, his mom and dad are like ultra rich and they own a hotel and, and they... Um, he has a trust fund. Yeah, they, they pay for everything. So he, he gets an allowance, basically. And they cut him off. So old story. You know, it's nothing new about this kind of story, right? Rich guy gets cut off. And so then he goes to find the one friend that he actually gets along with because he's kind of a stuck-up, horrible person. And, uh, and of course, in the course of doing that, they both come across this woman that his friend really likes. And he then has a relationship with, even though his friend said he likes it and they have to work all that out. What was weird about it was that the entire thing had this like voiceover narration. And so it was like, you know, like, well, the beginning of the story, Conrad's parents found themselves on a deserted Island and after having to spend a week together without any distractions, decided they don't really like each other and filed for divorce. And, oh my god. And so when they separated, neither of the two of them wanted to pay for their kid. So they just cut him off. You know, and this is the longest week, right? So it's only a week long. At the end of the week, they have figured out that they do indeed love each other. They get back together. Of course, you never see the parents. This is all just voiceover. It's weird. Huh. Yeah. It sounds weird. It was weird. It was interesting. It was actually not a bad film, but it was just it was done in such a specific way. But I think a lot of people would find it off-putting. You know? Hmm. I, I, you know, it sounds familiar. I think I may have seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it but it was years ago. Um, obviously, it came out, what, six years ago. Yeah. The Longest Day. Because I longest like all week. of those actors. The Longest Week. Um, uh, I, uh, I like all of those actors, too. Um, yeah. Because it um, sounds very familiar. Yeah, the, a, a uh, also it had uh, Jenny Slate in it, and she played um, uh, Mona Lisa Saperstein on Parks and Recreation, and she did a season on uh, on Saturday Night Live, and she's one of those people who's you, you would recognize she's done lots of different things, but I don't know that she's ever been sort of like the lead person in anything that's super notable. Um, but uh, she was in it, and then the other person that um, I recognized in it was a guy um, who played a... Um, uh, the uh, 
therapist, Barry the therapist, and it's uh, the actor Tony Roberts. And he's he's like 81 years old or something now. And uh, I don't know how. He, but he was in a lot of different like Woody Allen films. He was in Al, uh, Annie Hall. Um, he, he just he's been in a whole bunch of things over the years, you know. And so he's, again, one of those guys who when you see him, you go like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. Um, he's that what's, guy. Yeah, he's exactly. What's his name? Yeah, I, I know that face. I've seen him before because uh, he's been around for a long, long time. I mean, I think, yeah, you look at his, his filmography. His first movie was was uh 1965 wow you know the edge of night he was in the movie the edge of night he was also in the million dollar duck so you know you take your jobs where they come (laughs) (laughs) it's funny how how acting is like that i guess there's more more jobs that are like that right but it's like acting in particular everything you do is sort of right out there in people's face so you can see what you you do and uh you know especially when they're starting out actors you know as you get further in the career you have the luxury of saying hey this is not the right role for me or you know you don't people are offering you roles right when you're young and you're in you're auditioning for stuff and it's like you just take the move take it's a paying gig right um musicians are like that it's like you know at least the musicians the, the working musicians that i've met it's like you know you know the music is the music but whatever you know is it a paying gig you know if you if you're paying me yeah i'll show up and i'll play you know that's like the that's the thing, right? You know, just I, I need Absolutely. to be able to. I need to be able to make a living doing this. Does this pay? Um, you know, yeah. Or, or do you want a freebie? Because if you do that, then I don't know if I can do it. <laughs> yeah, I have to really, 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 really like the project. If if you know, I'm making my money on the back end and trust, trusting you. Otherwise, I want those dollars up front. Yeah, yeah. Just just give me the cash, and then I'll be there. But. Uh, yeah, and so you know, you look at like uh, a lot of actors, especially if they're not, even if they're really well known, but uh, if they're not well known, look at the first few things that they've done. You know, you know, and you look at their their catalog sometimes, and you go, "Huh, why did he take that?" <laughs> I'll tell you why, because they paid him. <laughs> you know, it's funny too because there are some actors that you can tell throughout their career they keep that attitude, and there are others who get more particular at times. Right? No, I'm going to do this, or you know, and if they get really famous, then they can pick and choose whatever they want, but. Um, but there's a lot of them who are even some of them surprisingly fairly famous names that are just like, yeah, I'll do it, whatever, sign me up, you know. Uh, Nicholas Cage, I mean, he's got. Yeah, it makes me wonder if they've got a cocaine habit to to support or something. Yeah, well, and you I know, know that uh, like uh, Nicholas Cage in one instance, I think he had some tax. I don't know if he still does, but he had some tax issues, and so it was sort of like, you know, don't say no to work, get make the money so you can pay your bills. Um. But yeah, you wonder too if there's other bills that they're trying to cover, you know. It's right. Like, yes, I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> I want yeah. to work back to back to back to back movies and never ever have any time off. That's my goal. <laughs> Said nobody ever. Right? <laughs> yeah. But uh yeah. Interesting, interesting. So, um Tim Cook is supposed to take the stand in Apple's trial against App epic games today so we get to finally uh hear it from the the big boss and so there's a lot of anticipation as to what they might ask him and what he's going to say at this uh this trial um i always thought it'd be funny since they're doing most of these things via um you know uh zoom zoom meetings they're doing like a zoom trial now right so you know you're sitting there talking they ask you a question you don't have an answer for and it's like and the screen goes out you know it's like <laughs> Internet problems. Internet problems. 
<laughs> yeah. Said Cook is expected to spend more than two hours making what is likely his most extensive public remarks on the Apple Store business, which anchors Apple's $53 billion services uh, um, uh, efforts. And so, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out because, you know, essentially Epic is trying to say, um, you know, let us be in your store for free and let us charge people directly and so then we don't have to have any money from you. I think what they might end up doing is saying, you know, Apple, allow other people to process their credit cards, but you have every right to charge them for being in the store. You know? Yes. And so Apple will come up with some calculation that is equal to or greater than the 30% they were charging. Since the, if you're not processing it, they don't know what your 30% sales is because they're not processing it anymore. But they'll come up with some fee saying, fine, if you don't want us to process it, then we'll just charge you this fee based on this other number. And it'll be, you know, you're, you're not going to be ahead. Trust me. <laughs> yes. Or maybe you know. give them the choice of either we get 30% or you have this flat fee. Oh, yeah. Um, that's what I'm saying is yeah. that they'll, they'll, there'll be this fee that will be either equal to or greater and probably greater probably than the greater. cost of the 30%. You know, but if you want to process your own credit cards, fine. Um, but, you know, I mean, then they'll, if you're processing your own uh, fees, you also then have information about the people who are using your product. Whereas if Apple does it, you don't really have that information, right? So there might be, for some, in some cases, there might be value for a company to say, hey, we'd rather do that. I mean, that's what Netflix essentially did, right? You know, Netflix, you can't pay for it through the App Store. You have to go to the website and nowhere on the Netflix app on iOS does it say go to the website. You just have to know that you have to go to Netflix.com and sign up uh, because Apple doesn't allow you to tell people to go somewhere else to sign up. So Interesting. Uh, Interesting. I installed yeah. Netflix so long ago I didn't even remember that. Yeah. Well, at one point in time, you could sign up and charge through the App Store. So they, they did originally start out that way, and then Netflix went outside and said, fine, we'll do it this way. The thing that, that Epic wants to do is they want to be in the App Store, advertise that you can pay through us, and and tell people about that. And Apple's going, well, that's not the deal you signed when you got in the App Store. Yep. Well, and so. Netflix you pay for, I mean, you, 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 you sign up for it and you get that monthly fee. And I would imagine Epic's is like all other games where you have constant in-app purchases. Right. Uh, and so, you know, there's it's not just that that monthly, you know, yeah. uh, passive processing. It's stuff going on all the time. And, exactly. And and in fact, that's where they make all their money is the gameplay is actually free. You you it's it's the buying of extra skins for your players so that you can, you know, have your characters look different, which is something that everybody wants to do. So they spend a few bucks here and a few bucks there. Um, and that's what they want. You know, you could buy uh, a loot box, uh, uh, basically, and use that then in-game money to buy things to spruce up your character. Interesting. So, yeah. It's interesting because Mac Daily News, obviously very Mac slanted because they cover the, the Apple um, product line, says that they think this case is a farce and they expect Tim Cook to use the opportunity to drive home the point that Apple doesn't have a monopoly in smartphones or in any other market, in fact, and so there can be no case for monopoly abuse. They're saying, you know, we are we are the minority here. Uh, Android outsells us, and so you can't accuse us of being a um, a monopoly. In fact, if you look at worldwide market share, Android has seventy two percent of the sales worldwide. iOS has twenty seven percent. Wow. 
you know. I didn't realize it was that much of a disparity. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, Apple's going to come back. Now, if you look at how much money is made by people using their phones, who who buys services and uses and, and spends on their phones, Apple uh, iOS users, uh, it's it's almost reverse of those numbers that, that people who, who really use their phones in, in a way that and spend money on their phones and use that as an interface to buy things. Um, Apple has all the people who want to spend money. So, yeah. But can you say, you know, you're not a monopoly, but you have a monopoly on all the good customers? That's that does, that's not an argument. <laughs> you, yeah. you, you do your job better than anybody else. That's not an argument. Exactly. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Um, you know, um, it's one of those things where, you know, keeping track of watching a trial is like watching a paint dry. So I, I'm not doing that, but I do, you know, I follow like the, um, the Mac Daily News and a few other places do like um, updates throughout the week as the trial goes on. So you can kind of see what's happening. Um, well, so. and it's not like Epic's, I mean, it's not like this is Motown in the 60s where Barry Gordy is becoming a gazillionaire and the artists are not. You know they're 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 stuck being poor. Right. Um, Epics Epics is not hurting. Yeah. No. They've made millions of dollars from their efforts on the iPhone and iOS, and uh, you know, and Apple points out, you know, it's like you are making seventy percent of everything <laughs> that you charge. You know, we only take thirty percent in order to maintain the infrastructure, you know, and and pay ourselves for the work that we did to build the store. So um, I do know, though, I was listening to a podcast of a developer and he was pretty upset with Apple at this point in time, too, saying that while he doesn't think that this particular um, uh, case has much uh, is going to go anywhere, that that he does not feel that Apple treats developers very well, that they've gotten to a point, he said, and this changes over time, it waxes and wanes. But he says at this current time, he feels like, you know, as a developer with a fairly popular app on their system, that they tend to treat developers as if they were lucky to have the opportunity to be there as opposed to hey we're partners helping you grow and not realizing that part of the popularity is all of the great apps that have been written and that the developers who have developed things on their operating system are not just you know bowing down and grateful for everything that apple's given them but that they also were um participants in helping make what the the ecosystem what it is in that you know right, a lot of people the content. exactly a lot of people would not be walking around happy with their iPhones if there weren't any you know apps available that had been written by third parties if it was just Apple stuff you know it, it's not it wouldn't it wouldn't be the runaway success that it is if it, if if that were the case and I think he's got a point um, you know and so um, I think Apple probably does need to think about that relationship and you know i mean if you've got and he went on on a rant probably for five or six minutes very emotional about it and so it's like you know if you can get that kind of emotion out of somebody who is a a dyed in the wool apple supporter you know in a negative way then apple hopefully is paying attention and and you know saying hey maybe we need to think through some of these policies and procedures that we have in place to uh uh, make things better because you know a while back they said if you if your app makes less than a uh, million dollars in a year I think it was a million is the cutoff um, that will only take fifteen percent instead of thirty percent. What they didn't say was that that doesn't happen automatically. You have to apply for it and fill out a form and request that you know the the lower rate. And it's like, well, why? You've got all the numbers. Just do it. <laughs> You know, I I don't understand why they but but, you know, the reason they did that was because they thought that there'd be a lot of developers who wouldn't go through the process, you know, and it's just that seems like 
again, them being kind of smarmy, you know, saying one thing, but not really being honest about how they're putting it in place. So, yes. Yeah. It's like marketing department, please re please meet the engineers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's human interfacing. It may not be intentional, really. I mean, it, well, they, they should know better. They really yeah. should. I suspect that it probably has more to do with, less to do with intent and more to do with, they said, let's do this. Okay, let's double check with the lawyers. And the lawyer said, here's how you have to do this. And and somebody like Tim Cook needs to just step in and say, no, that's not how we have to do this. Here's how we're going to do this. Right. You know, But he doesn't strike me as you know the kind of person who who's that um, decisive about stuff. I think that there's a lot of sort of let's have more of a community consensus. He, he strikes me as a consensus builder within the business more than a here's what we're going to do guy. Right. You know, whereas... Steve Jobs was definitely the, here's what we're going to do. If you don't like it, there's the door, you know? Um, and that just doesn't, T Tim Cook doesn't strike me as that kind of guy. And that's fine. I, I have no issue. In fact, I'd much rather work with the consensus guy, I think, because everybody gets an opportunity to say they're, you know, they're put in their two cents on things. And, you know, it's, I was always of the opinion, like you can argue against what the, the, the most of the people are saying right up until the second that the whoever's in charge makes the decision. And once the decision's made, then you drop it and move on, you know? Um, and, uh, and I've always been real good at being that, that, uh, outside voice, you know, wh let's play devil's advocate and say that everybody who's saying do this is wrong. What does that mean? <laughs> you know? Um, and so, um, uh, I appreciate it when, when that type of uh, attitude is given a, a, a hearing because I think it's overall right for most businesses to at least be aware of that. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, everybody has their own leadership style. I mean, obviously Mr. Cook has done a pretty good job in terms of, uh, the investors. <laughs> you know, no denying that. Um, for sure. for sure. So, so oh, go ahead. Um, it, it looks like, the European Union is going to be opening up to vaccinated American visitors this summer. It's about time. It's about time. And so if you're planning to go to Europe, get your tickets now because it's going to book up. They're going to book up fast. Mm -hmm. I yeah. Go to Europe. Yeah. You know, it's funny that there's a lot of, um, uh, I think it's sort of a, a rubber band effect uh, for travel and for being outside and stuff. You know, it's like, you know, traffic was bad before COVID and then it became like nothing. And so if you had to drive somewhere, it was like the freeways were empty because nobody's commuting to work anymore and everything's easier to do. And then once things started opening up, I think it's worse than it was before because everybody's like, get out of the house. Anything you can do to get out of the house. Any yeah, excuse. I would agree. You know, I and, agree. And, and I think that travel is going to be like that, too. It's going to be like, you know, all of the travel destination places are just going to be jam packed for the first year just because people are so sick of being cooped up for a year. And then it'll probably kind of balance back out. So, but if you're in the uh, travel industry or or live in a place where there's, um, you know, a destination place, you know, you know, a lot of people come to Southern California for Disneyland and things like that. I think we're going to just be inundated. Um, yeah, you know, as soon Hawaii. as Disney, as soon as Disney opens up to non-California residents, right, um, it will be it will get really bad in Anaheim for a while. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that it's going to be, um, you know, and I don't blame people. That's, that's, you know, but like you said, if you want to do something, book it now because book it's, now. it's, 
you know, summer is going to be uh, a lot of people just out and about because they're just tired of being in and again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because who, who would have thought that 16 months later we would still be or that we would just now be opening up. Right. You know? Yeah. Nobody would have thought. Nobody thought that. I certainly didn't. And I was wrong. Mm hmm. Yeah. No, I, I literally said when we closed down to my swim team and the families there. On March 12th of 2020, I said, well, see you guys in a couple weeks. That's what I said. That was my thought. That was the time range I was looking at. Yeah, because it was two weeks to flatten the curve, right? Yeah. See you in a few weeks, guys. Ha! Who knew? <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> uh, yes. Um. Uh, so Wall Street <laughs> Journal has a story about seven epic road trips for this summer and beyond, talking about traveling. Um, and the, the first one on there is a deliciously diverting road trip through the Deep South. And it's um, it's, set, it's a drive between Nashville and, and New Orleans. And uh, they said, if you're going to if you're going to make this drive, you better take it slow. On this wonderfully detailed tour of Tennessee through Mississippi and Louisiana, you'll be passing through sultry small towns that invite you to linger enough poignant uh, linger and enough poignant sites of American history to keep you engaged. Um, and then there's the food, unapologetic celebration of simple carbohydrates. <laughs> You're gonna gain weight. <laughs> Cookies and chips. Oh my. Exactly. And beignets and uh -huh. you know biscuits and gravy and yeah that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, you get to travel to each different place and have their specialty, right? Their speciality. Yes. So, yeah. So the number two is um, a perfect summer road trip in the Rocky Mountains. Hmm. So um, Denver native Ryan Haas designed this drive through his home state combining the very best of the Rocky Mountains in an unhurried three days. Um, makes me want to drive out there just to see it. Along mm -hmm. the way, expect traffic stopping vistas, wildflowers, meadows, arty birds, and a, and a peach of a what, last leg. What kind of birds? Arty bergs. Oh. Berg. Oh, arty bergs, like artsy little towns. Exactly. Gotcha. Exactly. <laughs> like um, what? What kind of bird is an arty bird? Is <laughs> <laughs> that like an arty joke? Yeah. yeah right. What's an arty bird? Does it have like <laughs> bright plumage? <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, those sounds like some beautiful, beautiful trips. Um, you know, and it's fun to go see things around. You know, I. I my parents, when they retired, basically traveled all over the country in an RV, and it was just for that, just to go see the country, because we've got such a big and vast and beautiful country, and each different area is just very different. So so they also list um, uh, the, across the continent a trip from New York to Seattle. Um, so it's going across the country on, uh, on the northern end. I guess that would be on I-80. No, I, I, yeah, inter, most of it through interst interstates 80 and 90. And uh, it's tw 2,852 miles. That actually sounds pretty amazing. I would love mm -hmm. to take that trip. But I would do it, I wouldn't do it in 42 hours. I would, yeah. you know, yeah. stop you know, and stay. Slow down, smell the roses, do it over the literally. Course of a summer. <laughs> yeah, 
literally stop and smell the roses, please. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. then, of course, Route 66, which is Chicago to Los Angeles, mm-hmm. um, D.C. to Denver, which apparently has a uh, it includes a civil rights trail uh, collection of destinations in 16 mostly southern states and in, in mm-hmm. Washington, D.C., um, that uh, that are focused on uh, the fight for justice. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that covers know. part of the um, the Underground Railroad. I know that Tobin's done a, a trip where they did parts of the Underground Railroad. And he as, did. A history, as a history teacher, that has a lot of interest to him. I think Route 66, just for nostalgia, would be fun. But if I did it, I would want to do it in like a classic car, you know? Like, yeah. That would be fun to do that. Of course, if in a classic car, they don't have particularly good air conditioning. So, yeah, <laughs> so you'd have to really time that one right because, you know, a classic car sweating and grumbling with a crappy radio and no air conditioning is not fun either. <laughs> Can you imagine? It's like, yay, this is like a nostalgic flashback and boy, that was terrible. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, you hey, start in the spring yeah. and, you know, yeah. uh, you start in like, you know, April or early May and, and, and head on out and take your time and visit lots of places. And yeah, that's how you do it. Well, you know, it's funny too, because people talk about like electric cars not being particularly good for doing that kind of thing because you have to stop and charge. But if you think of it the other way, they're perfect because you have to stop and charge. They force you to stop, get out of the car, meet some people, you know, eat in a diner learn a little bit about a town you know find some roses and smell them so (laughs) have you heard of nfts non-fungible tokens okay yeah and i don't understand them these are the weirdest things ever and kate moss just did a non-fungible token called sleep with kate moss and basically what she's doing is she's auctioning off a picture of her sleeping it's just a picture of her sleeping you know I, and, it's, and, and it's an electronic picture. It's not because non-fungible means you can't put your hands on it. Right. It's, it's electronic. Yeah. It's, it's the weirdest thing because essentially NFTs are attaching the notion of ownership to something that can't really be owned. You don't own the image, uh, the actual image, but you own the right to call yourself the owner of the image. That's what it basically boils down to. That makes so, no sense. So you have no control over the image of its reproduction. You can collect no fees for it, but you can say, that's my image. There it is. It's kind of like, it's almost like baseball cards in a sense, right? Or or Pokemon cards. You collect the cards. There's no real value to the card itself, but you just, you know, you say, I've got ownership of the that particular card, right? Or, I guess you physically own the card, so you could then sell the card. But the thing is, you could also sell ownership of the NFT to somebody. And a lot of people who have spent money on these things have then done that they then resold them or auctioned them off and people have paid for them it's just the weirdest thing i don't understand this at all <laughs> Isn't it? so it, i have to tell you if this doesn't prove marx's theories wrong i don't know what does because <laughs> marx says you know that it's the it's the intrinsic you know the work that it that to to create whatever item yeah. is, is what determines its worth hogwash yeah so clearly the value of something is whatever you can convince somebody that the value is right exactly that's precisely true yeah and and the nba is selling non-fungible tokens of specific uh plays like they got pictures of players doing making a shot in a famous game or something 
you know, and you can buy a package of them for like ten dollars. They'll give you like four or five of them, just like you'd buy a package of of, uh, of baseball cards. And you don't know what you got till you open them up, and then you see, you know. And just like baseball cards, there are some people who buy the packages and hang on to them, and then they'll sell the package without ever opening it. So you cannot un you can. Um, uh, you can tell when it's been opened, and so they'll not open it. So you can then sell it to somebody else based on the value that it might have, not even what it has because nobody knows what's in it because you haven't opened it. Wow. Yeah, because that happens with baseball cards. People who collect, you know, they'll go out and just buy boxes of cards and then leave them unopened, and then, you know, years later they'll be at a swap meet somewhere selling, hey, I've got a you know a set of un- unopened cards from 1980, you know. And if you're a collector and you have... Uh, you know, an entire team lacking one player from 1980, somebody who's got a bunch of unopened boxes, you know, those could be valuable to you, right? How much will you give me for those? And it's like, well, it's worth whatever you're willing to pay me. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. So we are out of time. By the way, 11,000 pounds is where the Cape Moss uh, photo is so far. So if you want to say you own something that you don't really own and you've got... um, you know, pounds are what about a, a little over a dollar worth now. They're not quite. They used to be two, but they're not quite that anymore. Anyway, figure fifteen thousand dollars, and you two can be in on the bidding. So, there you go. On that happy thought, that car that I said we might buy, we could get you know probably a, a good chunk of a used used uh, car with fifteen thousand dollars. I would think, right? if, if not all of it, depending on the car, right? Um, exactly. Uh, yeah. Or I could own something that I don't really own and brag about it. Hmm, that's a tough choice. <laughs> Not really. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, this has been Back from the Brink. I'm Todd Brinker. I'm Aaron Brinker. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you on Monday. <laughs>